Hello and welcome to this episode of Turing's Triple Helix, the podcast channel for Scotland's AI strategy. I'm Will Millership, Communications and Events Officer at the Scottish AI Alliance, and today we're joined by James Turing from the Turing Trust, who will be discussing his great uncle Alan Turing and the links he had with Scotland. So without further ado, I'll hand you over to John Fotheringham, AI Policy Manager at the Scottish Government and member of the Scottish AI Alliance Support Circle, who will be speaking to James. Over to you, John. Thanks very much, Will. Um, well, it's a great pleasure that we welcome James Turing onto our podcast. Um, he's founder and CEO of the Turing Trust and great nephew of Alan Turing, the man often cited as the father of artificial intelligence. So welcome, James. It's a pleasure to speak to you today. Thanks very much, John. Pleasure to be here. Um, so just to, to, to reflect, um, to begin with, if we may, um, Alan Turing is known for a great deal of things, computer science, code breaking, and perhaps best known, philosophy, mathematics, and many more. Many of these, uh, and much more, are explored in reflections of Alan Turing, a relative story, a new biography of Alan by your father, Sir Dermot Turing, that was published in spring this year. One of the areas that I've been particularly interested in recently is the Turing connection to Scotland. Um, it's kind of, I think it would be fair to say, somewhat underappreciated. Um, so just going to ask if you could tell us a little bit about the Turing family's connections to Scotland, please. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's certainly one of those things that doesn't often make the headlines, um, probably because it wasn't as fortuitous as perhaps some of Alan's career was. Um, so if you go way back into the history books, um, around the 14th century uh, is about as far back as we managed to trace some of the Turings. Um, and they actually lived in Fovran uh, in Aberdeenshire. Um, so I think they were there for about 400 odd years, um, but they didn't have the best of times there, unfortunately, as I believe their family home fell into the sea one day. So uh, obviously they must have built it on a cliff edge or similar. Uh, my father tells me that he's been to the site where it should have been and there is absolutely nothing there. So definitely uh, some coastal erosion, we believe. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the long story of uh, the Turing's in Scotland. Um, as for Alan himself, we believe that he came to Scotland a number of times uh, on holiday when he was a child. Uh, his father was particularly keen on trout fishing holidays, um, so obviously a fantastic location for that. Um, and sort of fast forward a bit into the future, um, it seems the Turing family are becoming a little bit more Scottish. Uh, myself based here in Edinburgh uh, and my parents shortly are actually going to be moving up into near Stirling as well. So uh, less English and more Scottish these days, really. <laughs> Okay, that's our family in transition, kind of coming back to back to the roots, as it were. Uh, great to hear that. Um, your own connection with Edinburgh and your um, parents' future ones with Stirling. It's a nice, lovely part of Scotland as well. Okay, um, so perhaps we should begin by reflecting on what Scotland's AI strategy is actually about and why it's how it's came into being. And first and foremost, you know, the strategy's purpose is to set out a vision for Scotland to become a leader in the development and use of trustworthy, ethical and inclusive AI. And alongside that, it sets out the principles that will guide our work as we go forward and the actions we'll take to develop and strengthen Scotland's AI ecosystem over the next five years. And the overall intent is to help ensure Scotland maximises the potential economic and social benefits of AI. And the approach that we'll take will be set out in the Scottish AI playbook, which will be an open and practical guide to how we do AI in Scotland. And the development and maintenance of the playbook will be the responsibility of the Scottish AI Alliance. And obviously communication is a big part of that and recognising um, the need to communicate um, to a wide range of audiences across a range of channels, we decided to, to develop a podcast channel and we, we, I will admit, um, we stumbled over a potential name for that for quite some time and we wound up choosing Turing's Triple Helix. Um, both 
on account of Alan Turing's connections to Scotland and also the triple helix being a kind of policy construct that represents the connections between academia, industry and government. And I suppose one of the other things that inspired the helix was um, as a kind of an, an indirect nod to Alan's connect work in computational biology. So I was going to ask James, what do you think Alan Turing would have made of Scotland's AI strategy? Um, well, certainly, I think to begin with, certainly the, the podcast name is something uh, fantastic. And certainly Alan's life kind of emulated many aspects of that triple helix, sort of coming from academia, um, being uh, co completely ensued uh, in terms of the government and his work at Bletchley Park, and then coming back out the other end of that, um, again, back into academia, but with lots of industrial implications at the same time. Um, and then when it comes to the strategy itself, I think it's certainly one of the things that Alan envisioned um, for computing in general was sort of the benefits that could be gained from it. It was never um, from his work sort of something that was, for example, extremely driven by profit, but was much more about sort of the, the discovery of the possibilities in itself. Um, I think one of his most famous quotes is that the, we can only see a we can only see a short distance ahead, but we can already see plenty there that needs to be done. Uh, and certainly in the field of AI, we're very much just at that beginning part of the journey. But we're already seeing the the ways that it can be somewhat used for nefarious purposes, um, and the fact that if we don't take control of it, then certainly uh, things could sort of run away. So I think. Particularly one of the principles that struck me um, from the strategy was that the way that AI should be used to benefit people and the planet by driving inclusive growth, sustainable development and well-being. Um, and I think those are kind of philosophies that Alan very much would have agreed with, making sure that it is for the benefit of everyone, not just for the few. I can see where you're coming from and that. that's actually what I was going to ask next, if I may, is you know, how, how important do you think it would have been to him that AI is trustworthy, ethical and inclusive? three little words, but they mean a lot, I think it would be fair to say. Exactly. I mean, I think it's um, one of those things where Alan's life story in of itself teaches us uh, all a huge lesson in sort of what inclusivity actually can mean and the negative impacts that no one can quite foresee in them. Um, had Alan lived longer, then who knows what he might have been able to achieve in those uh, years when he was really sort of at the peak of his career. Um, so, in that sense, there's obviously lessons there to be learnt, but also there are other lessons there. Um, for example, Alan was sort of way ahead of in his field in the sense that computer science we now think is a very male-dominated subject, uh, unfortunately, but yet it didn't start that way. Uh, Alan actually supervised several female PhDs in computer science, which is a trend that unfortunately uh, has been left behind in his legacy since. Um, but we can already see that those kind of uh, if maybe unconscious biases um, who are already coming into the fore. Uh, I think particularly one of the things that shocked me, I'm sure you've heard several uh, almost ridiculous horror stories. Um, for example, when uh, a LinkedIn advertising program showed a preference for male names in searches, and you're thinking, well, how on earth has a computer algorithm learned that bias from us? Uh, and it's very much something that we have to work against. So using those principles of trustworthy, ethical and inclusivity uh, is really something we have to keep a strong focus on to make sure that the the technology that's developed is actually appropriate and beneficial for all. Fantastic. That's a, a, lot of, a lot to reflect on there. And one of the things that was key to our approach from the outset in developing the strategy and now very much in its delivery is inclusion and people-centeredness. So inclusion is very much key to the Scottish AI Alliance, which is open to all and brings people together through dialogue, collaboration and action to help deliver the strategy. 
Can I ask James, what do you think Alan Turing would have made of the Alliance? Uh, I think it's something that he probably would have really appreciated. Uh, I mean, certainly there's a fantastic story of Alan uh, not being afraid to take the facts to the, the very top of government when he felt necessary. I uh, don't know if you can remember that, um, but essentially there was a, uh, during World War II, a letter signed by uh, several of his colleagues and himself, um, basically saying that they needed far more resources than what was being made available at Bletchley Park. And Alan was the one who was de- taking a, took it upon himself somewhat um, to deliver the letter to Winston Churchill, um, which was certainly uh, skipping at least 18 different chains in the hierarchy that were there uh, that he decided uh, were not appropriate. So um, having something like the Scottish AI Alliance is certainly something that I think gives people that opportunity where perhaps there wasn't in the past um, and it could be well used by people who have some of those great ideas. Fantastic. It's interesting you mentioned the hierarchy um, in its design and we're actually keen to make sure that you know, unlike um, many other constructs where there's a kind of a hierarchy either built in or it evolves that the Alliance is very much inclusive in the round um, and you know hopefully all circles are, are equal insofar as as possible and that's certainly very much how we're how we've been taking things forward um, up to now um, and I, I can empathize with what you're saying there about in so many different layers of hierarchy and approval chains and that's something I've experienced from previously so I'm going to move on if I may to um, your own work um, obviously uh, you're um, founder and CEO of the, the Turing Trust it's interesting to hear about you know the, you spoke earlier about the Turing's in Scotland today can you tell us a bit more about the trust and the work that you do in Scotland? Absolutely. Um, so in brief, the Turing Trust is a charity that uh, I founded along with some of my family members uh, all the way back in 2009 with basically the aim of bridging, bridging the digital divide, uh, ensuring that every student get, has an opportunity to learn IT skills uh, using a computer. Um, so we're based in Edinburgh. Uh, actually, our premises is in uh, Lonehead, uh, just, just outside the city centres. Um, and that's where we refurbish thousands of computers every year that are very kindly donated uh, the majority by companies, but also a significant number by individuals just from households as well. Um, and that's where we'll have uh, over 100 volunteers every single year come to us, uh, helping us to refurbish these computers uh, and also hopefully learning a fair bit in the process as well as we like to have a kind of fun environment where people can learn refurbishing IT skills um, in a way that is not very high pressure um, because certainly everyone's there to kind of do their bit. Um, and make these resources available to people. Um, so since we've been based here now for over 10 years, um, we've been able to expand our footprint, footprint quite a bit. Uh, initially, some of our work was based in Ghana, um, where we've got over 70 schools using our computers. Um, and since 2016, thanks to a grant from the Scottish International Development Fund, um, we've been able to expand into Malawi, where now we've got over 100 schools using computers that have been donated uh, in Scotland. Um, and this is amongst several other smaller projects where we've also been able to send computers to uh, Gambia, Liberia, uh, Kenya, Ethiopia and a few others. Um, so certainly there's been a huge amount of influence there of particularly the Scottish Government International Development Programme that made it possible for us to expand in such a large way into Malawi. Um, and certainly that's something we hope will continue into the future. Uh, although there's a bit of flux at the moment in the international development sector, certainly with the recent changes to um, the percentages of ODA that are being given out. Um, but we would really hope that in my lifetime, at least, we can see a world where every student gets an opportunity to learn digital computing skills with a physical computer. Um, because I think it's one of the great sort of tragedies that 
at the moment, students are still being taught how to use a computer by drawings on a blackboard. I uh, don't know if you've ever seen these absolutely fantastic drawings that came out of Ghana, uh, but one teacher had managed to do the entirety of the Microsoft Word interface in color on a blackboard um, with all the little icons and everything, um, wow. which is just a sign of what levels of teacher dedication are there. But frankly, without actually being able to show a student what a computer looks like in real life, it's uh, pretty hard to imagine that they're going to be able to get all the benefits that you can from, uh, and let's face it, the last year has certainly taught us all how vital computing is to our day-to-day -day lives um, and how we can respond to things like the pandemic. There's a lot to, to reflect on there. Um, I was interested you said there about kind of refurbishing and you know, used IT equipment from companies and from um, you know, individuals as well. It takes me back to something you said a few moments ago about you know, what you thought Alan would have been very keen to see computers used for good for people and planet. I suppose you're very much continuing in that spirit. And you, you mentioned a range of um, countries there, including Malawi, with which Scotland has had long-standing um, connections, including the, the work of the Scottish Government in terms of supporting initiatives out there. Can I ask, why did you choose the countries? Any particular interests and connections? Or? Yeah, it was very much done on sort of uh, a needs basis. So we did a bit of analysis um, and also using our connections that existed. Um, and Malawi was certainly, I think at the time, it was the third world poorest country based on income. Um, and that certainly reflected in terms of the availability of IT equipment in the country. Um, I think in 2016, there were about 2% of schools in Malawi had access to IT facilities. And that might not have even been a full lab of even 20 computers for a school of maybe a thousand students. Um, so it was that opportunity provided the, with the, the Scottish Government's international development grants that really gave us the kind of impetus and the funding we needed to actually make it possible um, to start distributing computers in a significant way and also making sure we can do it with a maintenance programme so that when we're donating computers to schools in Malawi, we're not only just leaving the getting the computers into the classrooms, but then we're making sure that they, we can follow up for several years afterwards, ensuring that not only do the teachers have the adequate training they need to make full use of the resources, but then to also make sure that the computer lab can be maintained, parts replaced when needs be, and indeed computers upgraded if need be. Um, and that's kind of why one of the reasons we really focused in on Malawi was that, uh, that relationship, uh, particularly spearheaded by the Scotland-Malawi partnership. A fantastic organisation that have really helped us to uh, make sure that the whole ecosystem is there and available um, and to make sure that we can kind of continue to make get Malawi onto a path whereby uh, many more students have access to computing. Um, coming back to that sort of 2% figure uh, only a few years ago, uh, we're now very proud to say that 44% of schools in the northern region have been able to use our computers, um, which really kind of shows you the impact that even quite a small charity such as ourselves can have. Uh, along with lots of wonderful volunteers based in Edinburgh and also thousands of people donating IT equipment. You make an interesting point there, you know, you know there's many people out there who probably have a choice of devices, you know, and you know, forever updating them and that, you know, but that's not the case for everyone. And it's great that you can, you know, actually, you know, recondition machines and you, you know, they're going to such valuable use and making a real impact. Um, in, in other parts of the world. And that leads me all nicely to ask what your kind of plans are going are going forward with the Turing Trust. And um, you touched on briefly there about the kind of the, the state flux in the international development space. It's a challenging or challenging environment at the moment, I dare say. It is indeed. Um, but certainly I don't think that's really uh, abated our plans too much, to be honest. Um, we sort of uh, are still working towards our vision uh, by 2025 when we could see uh, Seventy percent of classrooms in central and northern Malawi having access to computing facilities, 
um, which sounds uh, ridiculously ambitious from a sort of 2% figure that we're working from, um, but I think it's very realistic uh, if we're able to continue on the trends that we've begun uh, and certainly more people continue to donate equipment. Um, weirdly, one of the pandemic seems to be in one of these situations where now there is actually a, a focus on that digital divide that previously wasn't um, and has had strange consequences in that lots of companies have been buying up all the laptops available. Um, which has ended up with a plethora of desktops available to be donated, which is fantastic for us. Um, so we've actually seen donations go up in the, in the last year and a bit, which is wonderful. Um, and hopefully uh, it will be something that companies continue to do as they kind of look towards more circular economy means of uh, using their IT resources in the most effective and charitable ways, rather than just seeing them as a, a waste that needs to be removed. I think that's very much true. It's interesting you say there, but you know, you know, buying up all the laptops and tablets and that. And I think we've we've read on many occasions about shortages and long lead-in times, especially for um, laptops and that. And that colleagues at the Data Lab have said that. Um, yeah, but also, that you, it's great to hear that you've got the opportunity to to make use of desktops. Um, I can't remember the last time I personally used a desktop machine. It must be a good few years ago now. Um, so it seems to be a laptop by default. Um, so interesting to, to reflect on as well how much the last 18 months has kind of brought the digital divide to um, the fore as well. Um, you may be aware that the Scottish Government's Connecting Scotland initiative was launched in spring last year um, to try and help us and make sure no, a few people were left behind and what's been a, I would say, quite an acute, acutely sharp transition to digital for many things, um, but also highlighting the potential it has as well. So, just going to move on, if I may, to you know, outline there what the, the Turing Trust does and kind of where you see um, things going forward over the next few while in your vision by 2025, which is frightening to think is just about three years away. <laughs> um, at one time, everything was, um, you know, 2000 or 2020. Um, but yeah, here we are. Um, so I was going to ask if anyone wants to get involved with the Turing Trust, what's the best way for them to do so? Absolutely. So firstly, please do visit our website, www.turingtrust.co.uk. Um, like all charities, we're also always very keen to receive any donations. Uh, on average, it costs us just £8 to get a computer into a classroom. So truly every penny counts uh, that can be donated. Um, but I think also for many people, it will just be a case of sort of looking through their old drawers or what's in the attic uh, and indeed having a look to see what IT equipment you might have that you no longer need. Uh, and please do donate it. Uh, we're very welcome for any donations of computers, laptops, desktops, phones, tablets, headphones, all these kind of things. Uh, you can find a full list on our website and we'd really encourage particularly individuals to donate their equipment. But also if there's anyone in your company you could speak to, um, please do ask them in case they might be able to donate their equipment too. Fantastic. That's um, really helpful. And I was going to actually ask that, what kind of, is it just um, desktops and laptops that you are looking for? But great to hear that you can make use of so much other kit. And I'm sure many people out there will have a pile of stuff, maybe even half a dozen old mobile phones lying in a drawer somewhere um, that they've accumulated over the last few years. Um, so it's great um, to, to think what, you know, it might just be gathering dust, but you know, it could be um, put to far better use elsewhere. And so. That's fantastic. Um, well, it's been very good to um, speak with you today, James, and kind of reflect on Turing's, Alan Turing's connections to Scotland and the wider Turing family, um, and also to hear your reflections on Scotland's AI strategy and what you think Alan Turing himself might have made of it, in particular with the values um, at the core of its vision, you know, AI being trustworthy, ethical and inclusive. As I said earlier, three little words, but they mean so much. Um, there's, you know, I think we, the last 18 months, have put a spotlight on the potential of computing 
Um, and I suppose within that, you know, artificial intelligence and you know, the, certainly in, up to now, Scotland's AI strategy seems to have been very well received. And we've got off to a really encouraging and promising start and with the amount of interest in it and the stuff that we need to, and kind of people stepping forward to get involved with it, what we need to do to, to get things up and running. Um, so I think you know, just to, to close, if I may, to, to go back to a quote by Alan Turing that you said earlier, we can see about a short distance ahead, but there's a great deal there to be done. I think that's both uh, the case for both um, the, yourself at the Turing Trust and ourselves here at Scotland's AI Strategy Team. Um, and very much um, enjoyed chatting to you today, James. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. And just like to ask if, you've, if there's anything else you'd like to say. That's fantastic. Well, thank you very much, John. It's been a, a real pleasure and certainly, yes, I think there is plenty there to be done, uh, but I think it looks like a, a good and bright future. So uh, thanks to yourself and many other people who are inspired to act and make the world a better place. Uh, I'm sure we'll get there. Thank you very much. Very much so. Thank you. Thank you, James.